Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. With me today is CEO and CIO Chris Wallace. Welcome, Chris. Good to be here, Dan. Well, Chris, there's some uh, exciting news on the front. Yesterday, we saw President Biden. He announced that the U.S. is going to start releasing one million barrels of oil a day from their strategic reserves. Um, do you think this is the right move based upon the increased supply pressures and the rising prices we've seen? Yeah, it's. I hope it's not a desperate move, which is what all indications would be, or it's excessively politically motivated. Um, a million barrels a day is um, certainly a lot of incremental supply, but given the deficits that we're facing, we have oil offline in Kazakhstan, um, and easily there are you know several hundred thousand, if not a million plus barrels at risk uh, in the Russian-Ukraine conflict. At, at best, this may go to help balance the market. Um, my greater concern is that they know that more barrels are coming off, and so this is a preemptive move to do this at the $100, $110 Brent level and not at the $140 Brent level. Uh, but this does nothing to uh, increase supply longer term. Uh, if it is politically motivated, it's a, a real bad uh, move, I think, strategically. Um, so time will tell, and we'll have to see. Uh, more importantly, you know, s- just before this release, Saudi Arabia raise the price of oil. Um, so a million barrels is a lot incrementally, you know, you can trade around it, but at the end of the day, it's not going to change the situation longer term, and it's not going to have much of an impact on, on where oil prices are 12 and 24 months from now. Yeah. And, and another question here, energy-related. Um, so we've seen this week that Russia is now only accepting transactions for their natural gas in rubles. And we've heard, you know, I've heard a couple of varying takes on this move. Um, you know, one camp has... Uh, you know, this is a destabilizing move for the U.S. dollar uh, as, a, as a monolithic power. Um, while the other camp, you know, there seems to be stating that this is displaying Russia's weakness as a result of their inability to, to procure foreign currencies. Um, so just curious, you know, where, where do you think uh, you come down on this one? I look, it, it's a, you can characterize it as a little of both, but it is much more an indication of Russia's strength. Um, I mean, let's let's face it. Europe is going to start transacting in rubles. India has already said they would. Um, the world is short physical goods, and the world has been in a situation where uh, cheap oil and cheap energy was plentiful. Uh, it's been in a situation where fiat currencies dominated and could be used as weapons, and that's no longer the case. Uh, to sit here and say that um, it's Russia weakness, yes, they certainly are going to need more incremental uh, currencies other than the rubles. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're releasing <laughs> barrels of oil, and he's going to be able to sell his and what heretofore has been a very weak currency at what price he wants to. So, you know, this is this is coming from a negotiating position of strength, whether... Uh, the initiation of the move is from a position of near-term weakness financially. That may be the case, but there's no doubt he has the upper hand. And anybody that wants to continue their economy functioning in Europe is going to find a way to get the rubles to to buy the gas that they need. So, no, we are in a significant shift in the global order. There should be no ifs, ands, or buts about that. That's not a question. Uh, the dollar's role as a economic and geopolitical weapon has been overexploited, and that's necessitating this change. Uh, and it's going to have very long-term consequences, and it's going to change 
uh, countries' roles in, in the world order, ours included, Germany's included, uh, some will rise and some will fall. And it'll also beget, you know, a, a counterpunch. So uh, this is just further evidence of what we expect, which is a further escalation in these tensions, not just militarily, but economically. So let's shift gears a little bit, to, uh, and we'll, we'll talk some about uh, about interest rates and the curve. So you know, there's been some market discussion around the flattening of the yield curve, and then you know, literally this week, followed by the inversion between the, the two and ten year. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, thoughts might be that maybe the Fed will catch up and the curve will begin to steepen. You know, do you are, do you have any indication that we should view this yield curve inversion um, any differently this time? Yeah, I I don't think it's any different from signaling an economic slowdown. I mean, that's been in the cards. We know it. When we have the pundits come out as they are now telling us it's different this time, it's always the same pundits from the <clears throat> same um, agency perspective, meaning they have securities to sell and we got to keep things going. Um, we're going to slow down. We're going to slow down very dramatically in the second quarter, and we may get a little bit of respite in the third quarter, and then the slowdown re- will resume in the fourth quarter. Uh, If you look through the inventory data, we are building inventories at a rapid rate. I know there's a narrative out there that the economic growth is going to continue at a high rate because we're going to continue to build inventories, and that's simply not the case. Inventories at the wholesale and the manufacturing level are bloated, and so we're going to have a slowdown for those reasons as well. So now, and when you look at the forward curve out a year, it's deeply inverted. It's inverted at the... at at a rate of a pace of change and at a depth that's almost unprecedented. So, no, we're going to have a slowdown. Should that slowdown manifest into a full recession? Is that in the cards? Yeah, it's it's definitely in the cards. Um, a European recession, given their energy crisis, um, is very much a possibility in the back half of this year. A U.S. recession um, we'll have to see if there's other shocks or other impacts in the pace of the slowdown in the second quarter and into the third, whether we can hit one of these recessionary windows later this year or earlier next year. Uh, but make no bones about it. We are very much on, on a path for that trajectory. And, you know, as usual, um, the fixed income market is sniffing it out. Uh, the only area that it could be different this time is whether the Fed is not going to uh, stymie inflation with interest rate increases. They're going to drag their feet. And it's going to be a, a political policy choice as to whether we continue to sustain negative real rates at their current levels and whether we implement policies that encourage um, inflationary conditions to further use financial repression to address the fiscal and monetary imbalances at the at the sovereign level, and so that's the part that's different this time. Um, and we may see those policy actions. A very key decision is going to be the student loan expirations May first. So we've haven't had to uh, those that have borrowed and have student loans outstanding have not had to make payments for the last couple of years. Those come due. Or that 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 uh, that benefit expires May first. Does that get extended? Um, that would be an indication that hey, we're going to continue to let things run hot. We're not going to address these inflationary conditions, and inflation's going to fall. We'll probably be at four or five percent inflation in the back half of this year, and so you know we're get, we're getting ready to enter economic slowdown, disinflationary conditions. That's you know negative 
for equity markets. And that's what the market's been sniffing out this first quarter. Right. Um, last question for today. Uh, this might be a topic that could be big enough for its own podcast, but love to get your, your quick take here. Um, you know, we've continued to see you know, these increased isolationist views from countries. And, and you know, this is on the yeah. heels of, you know, we've had decades and decades of, of globalism approach at this point. Um, yeah. So, you know, do you think that this, this movement has enough momentum to sustain itself? Yeah. Look, it, this movement is being driven by fundamental factors. So there shouldn't be a debate as to whether there's an end of deglobalization. It ended a few years ago. The question's going to be at what pace because uh, these things will happen in cycles. At what pace do we deglobalize? At what pace do we start securing supply chains? Um, and the most important thing is the world's large economies are looking for new growth models. You know, China over relied on infrastructure and real estate. That is not going to be a soft landing. Uh, we've already seen uh, housing prices begin to decline, and you can't you can't reverse that. It's going to it's going to find its point of equilibrium. Uh, you know, Germany, which has been the anchor in keeping the the euro project together, has lived off the growth in China, and now they are in a desperate position for. Um, economic growth going forward, what's going to be their model, and they're going to be in a high-cost jurisdiction given their energy costs. So that that project and the powers between Germany and France and others in the Euro region are, are going to change dramatically. And we can't forget and overlay the fact that large developed and developing economies are facing very stark demographic conditions. And with the dramatic decline in fertility rates the last several years, those are only going to worsen. Um, and so everybody's definitely going to start looking out for their own self-interest, as they should. Um, and that means uh, trade flows are going to change. Uh, politics is going to dictate some fairly um, what would typically be inefficient economic decisions. Um, and I think we're, you know, we're at that point where the world over relied on uh, financialization and financial repression, and we're going to look for new growth. And this is what begets the development of, of bear markets. So I, I do think we're in, in the U.S. and elsewhere, we're on the cusp of a developing bear market more so than just, uh, you know, a cyclical correction. So we got to pay attention to that. All right. Sounds like a good opener, at least for, for maybe next time or, or sometime down the road. So thank you, Chris. Sure. This is terrific. And we will have you soon. Thanks. Sounds good, Dan. The views, information, and or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. This podcast, or any podcast in the series, does not constitute professional investment advice or services, and any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. Past performance is not an indication of future performance. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the entire contents of this podcast are the property of Von Nelson and, or used by Von Nelson with permission and are protected under U.S. copyright and trademark laws.